Take your Bibles for a moment in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And let's take up where hopefully you read last evening a simple little statement and a simple little question that I hope that you'll remember and we can apply to what we're doing this day. 1 Samuel chapter 17 is the story of David killing Goliath. When Jesse sent his son David to visit his brothers in the battlefield and to take them a few items of food, he arrived and he heard the champion of the Philistines blaspheming the God of Israel. And he saw the big ugly guy come out there and challenge the armies of Israel, and he had been doing that for a long time. And David began, he heard a rumor that if someone were to go out and kill Goliath, that King Saul was going to give him his daughter and give his father tax exemption for the rest of his life. And he heard these things and he, he, he said, what is the king going to do to the man who kills Goliath? And there were people offended at him asking that, especially his brother. And people are going to be offended at us because they don't understand real Christianity. David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Isn't there a cause for me to be asking what the king's going to do? Because someone should do something about this giant. First Samuel seventeen twenty nine. David said, what have I now done? What have I done wrong? Is there not a cause? Shouldn't men be getting upset? Shouldn't men be getting provoked? Shouldn't men want to do something? Here's what his brother had just said to him in verse 28 when he heard him asking what rewards the man was going to get who killed Goliath. Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. You're just a little boy that our family has entrusted with a few sheep. Who have you left them with? You just wanted to come down and watch real men fight. You're just naughty in your heart. You're full of pride. How much more can you read about Eliab in the rest of the Bible? Zero. Yes. Because he was a zero. Amen. He was a loser. He had stood there for 40 days and listened to that Goliath blaspheme the armies of Israel when he should have gone out and taken his head off. Anyone that would have gone out there and said, I do this in the name of the Lord Jehovah of Israel would have won the battle. But none of them had the faith that David had and none of them had the zeal that David had. And so David said, is there not a cause? Today, give me a few minutes to teach you that there is a cause for mirth. A cause for mirth. We have reason to celebrate. Is there not a cause? David found a cause almost everywhere he went. Because he thought about the Lord at all times and what he could do for the Lord's sake. Look at 2 Samuel 23. Let's look at a few examples in David's life. Today is going to be short, hopefully sweet, and simple. 2 Samuel 23. What a wonderful day. What a wonderful day yesterday. Amen. A baptism. Three hours of singing. Two and a half hours of singing here with those who are singing. Today we get the Lord's Supper. We take in a church member. Amen. We're going to have a feast of mirth to the Lord. We get to celebrate together by singing His praises. We get to open the Word of God and understand it. 
We are blessed indeed. Second Samuel 23, let me remind you about how David had a cause every time something happened in his life. In 2 Samuel 23, David is, is hiding from the Philistines and King Saul. And it tells us in verse 15 that he longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And there's an exclamation point there. David had grown up in Bethlehem, and he loved the, well, the water from that well. And he said, Oh, if I could have a drink when it was the good times when I was at home in Bethlehem and could drink from that well. Well, three of his mighty men heard their captain say that they would like it, that he would like a drink. And though there was a garrison of the Philistines at Bethlehem, they went and fought their way through a garrison of the Philistines and brought him back water from that well. Do you know what David did with that water? In verse 16 tells us the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, the very well David wanted, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. He gave it to the Lord. He poured it out to the Lord because is there not a cause? If they risk their lives for this, I'm not worthy of it. Something this precious ought to be given to the Lord. David thought that way all the time. We should think that way all the time if we want to be like David. What can I do that's extraordinary? What can I do above average? Let me break the status quo let me not give the Lord the same o same o. Let me give him something exceptional. David always thought that way. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, I am in chronological order in David's life at the moment. 2 Samuel chapter 6, 23 was recounting the deeds of his mighty men at the end of his, toward the end of his life. 2 Samuel chapter 6 is when David danced with all his might before the Lord. When he moved the Ark of the Covenant, couldn't he have just been a sober king? Couldn't he have been a regal presence there with the Ark of the Covenant? He was not. He danced with all his might and he took off his royal robe so that his wife was offended. And here's the fact. When you try to give God your best, others are going to be offended with you. But you make sure you're giving God the best as it's defined in the Bible. God doesn't care what you think is best. God doesn't care if you're more conservative than the Bible. More conservative than the Bible is just as wicked as more liberal than the Bible. There is no difference whatsoever. The Pharisees were more conservative. The Sadducees were more liberal. Jesus hated both of their doctrines. You've made no progress at all by trying to be more conservative than the Bible. Those that are more conservative than the Bible are the Seventh-day Adventists, are the Catholics who want to live in monasteries and wear black robes and make nuns and take vows of celibacy and vows of poverty, but that's not what Christians do. Right. You can say, well, drunkenness is such a terrible thing, I'll never drink. You haven't made one bit of progress in the sight of God. You are a weak Christian. Right. You are weak. A strong Christian knows that God gave us that stuff to enjoy, and we ought to enjoy it. My point being here, That woman, Michael, looked out the window and saw her husband dancing without his royal robes. She was the daughter of a king. She expected her husband to act like a king. 
But he had taken off those royal robes because he was nothing but a bond slave of the Lord God of heaven. And he was dancing with all his might. David saw a cause. What was the cause? This was the object of worship. Whole nation out to eat for dinner. Remember? If you read verse 19, it says he gave everyone a bottle of wine, a flagon of wine, a loaf of bread, and a good piece of flesh. That's a good meal. The whole nation. And then he came home and found his wife making fun of him. And he had the last laugh on that one. And I love David. I love David. He never touched that woman again. She didn't deserve to ever be touched again. Let her dry up and rot. Because she was so profane, the daughter of a profane king, Saul was like that his whole life, and did not want to give God the glory. David saw a cause. He always saw a cause. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, what was the cause he saw? You know, I hear men talking about they can't wait to retire. I heard Nebuchadnezzar walking through his palace and saying, Look at the beautiful palace that I have built for the glory of my name. Eat, drink, and be merry. I've got it made. I live in impregnable Babylon. David sat in his house, according to verse 1 of chapter 7, when the Lord had given him rest around about from all his enemies. And instead of wanting to go golf, and instead of wanting to retire, and instead of wanting to think about how easy his life could be, he said, this isn't fair. I'm living in a real house, and God's still being worshipped in a tent. Right. That isn't fair. I'm going to build him a house. You know the story, don't you? If I get off on this one, we're gone for the next hour. This is so wonderful. The personal exchange between David and God in 2 Samuel 7 is wonderful. I'm going to build you a house, Lord. God comes down through Nathan the prophet and says to David, When did I ever suggest that I needed a house? I was content with a tent. Why do you want to do something so special? I didn't bring it up. I never told Moses I could use a house someday if you get the money. Oh, it's wonderful. And then the Lord says, David, I never mentioned this, but it came up in your heart that you wanted to build me a house. I'm not going to let you build me a house. Your son's going to build it for me. I'm going to build you a house. Amen. It's the last sentence of verse 11. Look at this. 7-11. Nathan tacks this on as a P.S. Also, the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house. Amen. You want to get excited today and worship the Lord God of heaven? He'll bless you. Right. Amen. You want to take this day as a same-o, same-o Sunday of Jonathan Crosby and the rest of the Greenville Church trying to do something special? You can rot like Michael or Eliab or the rest of them. The other 99.9% of those who claim to be the sons of God. They never act like it. David always acted like it. That's why David is so emphasized in the Bible. There is more personal information about David than all other Bible characters put together. And there's a reason for that. If you would study the life of David, you would learn how to be a man after God's own heart. That's right. He's going to build him a... Also, the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. What was that house? His family tree would occupy the throne of God Amen. forever. Amen. Do you know who sits on the throne of God at this hour? The son of David. Do you know who walks around that throne and bows before that throne and worships that son? David does. 
But we're better off than David was when he was on earth. Oh, that's the second service, First Peter chapter 1. Those poor prophets, the Bible tells us they didn't know what or what manner of time they were talking about. But you know who they were talking about? Now get excited. If you're not excited, Calvary. Amen. Is there not a cause? Amen. Yes. David's sitting in his house. The Lord's in a tent. He says, I've got to do something about this. It isn't fair. I'm going to build him a house. Then the Lord says, you're not going to build it. Does David still see a cause? Come, come on now. Oh, yes. Well, if I can't, pay, if I can't build it, I'll pay for it. Amen. If I can't build it, I'll pay for it. So how, what are the kind of words that are used in the Bible about David? It says he gathered like he danced. Come on, help me. He gathered like he danced with all his might. He gathered with all his might while he was still alive to make sure he paid for the whole thing. And Solomon just put the puzzle together. That's all. Who gave him the directions? David. Where did David get the direction, the blueprints for the temple that was in Jerusalem? On Mount? Who picked the spot? David picked the spot. How did he pick the spot? There was an angel of the Lord standing there that had just killed 70,000 men of Israel. And David ran up to that spot. And he was going to offer a sacrifice to the Lord because the angel put his sword back after killing 70,000 men. And a Jebusite owned that piece of property. Remember, Jerusalem had once been Jebus, the capital city of the Jebusites. And a Jebusite lived there and owned that piece of property. And the Jebusite came out, Arana. The Bible says he behaved himself like a king that day. Right. He came out and he said, this land is yours. There's a yoke of oxen. Use them as the sacrifice. Take this plow and take all those wood threshing instruments that are there and use them as the wood for the fire. Is there not a cause? Would David let, let that go by? Think with me. Is there not a cause? Oh, David knew that if you worship God without paying for it, it didn't go anywhere. So he said, i got to pay full market price for it. Now, what's the full market price? Twice they went back and forth between themselves. Arana said, I want to give it to you. I want to pay for it full market. 600 shekels of gold for it. I want you to see it. Amen. It's First Chronicles chapter 21. First Chronicles 21. The life of David is full of these events. It deserves a whole sermon, but you already got that before. Do you know what it was called? It was called a sermon, Exceeding Magnifical. Where did that strange combination of adjectives come from? David, 1, Samuel 20, 1 Chronicles 22.5. When David was on his deathbed, he pulled that oxygen hose away from his nose. He got up in his wheelchair and he called all the princes of Israel around him. And he said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender. And he has one enormous building project before him because the house of the Lord had better be... Exceeding magnificent. Now you make sure you help him get it done right. This is the, the heart of David. I want to bust this thing right now and build an altar to the Lord and burn it. Don't you want to take those pews and do the same? We want to be like David. Oh, to be 1% like David. Look at First Chronicles chapter 21. I want to show you that little exchange between Orna the Jebusite and David. Verse 21, 1 Chronicles 21, 21, David runs up there, and Arana comes out, bows his face to the ground. Verse 22, David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it me for the full price. Eminent domain. Do you all know what eminent domain is? You know when the government comes and claims property and pays you a price for it, and sometimes it's not a full market price? 
But this was going to be full market. That the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said unto David, Take it to thee. Let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all. King David said to Ornan, Nay, but I will verily buy it for the full price. For I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. So David paid for it. I will not worship God without cost. Do you understand the difference? Do you know that most Christians try to worship God with the least amount they can possibly put in to going to church? They want to go as few times as possible and do as little as possible to call themselves a Christian. But David wanted to do as much as he possibly could even when somebody else was stuffing money in his, pot, in his hands. He wanted to pay for it himself. From the words, is there not a cause? The Lord was worthy of all that. There are so many instances about David. How many times did David crown Solomon king? Twice. Because he liked big assemblies where he could worship God. You should see him as he gets up off his deathbed for the final time to crown Solomon the second time. And they killed so many sacrifices and that nation was stuffed to the gills for days. And they all went to their homes with full of gladness in their hearts because David had led them in the worship of God. I'm going to read you some words from that little event tonight, the Lord willing. What is mirth? Mirth is the moderate... By moderate, I mean within the limits that God gives. There shouldn't be moderation in the sense of how you worship God because it should be done with all your might. Right. Pursuit of comfort, happiness, pleasure, and ease. Mirth doesn't mean anything about Hollywood sin, and I've already preached that as we've gone through the book of Ecclesiastes. Mirth is not a bad word in the Bible, it's a good word. When they heard the word of God explained to them in Nehemiah chapter 8, they said they celebrated with great mirth. Great mirth. They just didn't have a little bit of mirth. They had a whole lot of mirth, a whole lot of pleasure, comfort, ease, happiness, gladness, because they had understood the preaching that day from Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites. It's the holy and righteous use of God-given pleasures like eating, drinking, and relaxing with the things you can afford. Eat, drink, and be merry is the Christian religion when it's understood in its right and proper sense. Should Christians allow mirth? Look at Deuteronomy 28. This is simple. You've heard these verses before. We need to remind ourselves why we're doing what we're, what we're doing. And that what we're doing is very good. And that holiness... I hope you appreciated Nehemiah chapter 8 and God's three-time repetition that holiness is not mourning, not grieving, and not being sorrowful. Holiness is making the Lord your joy. Otherwise, you are really messed up. He didn't adopt you to make you unhappy. He adopted you to make you happy. He thinks that making you the Son of God is something that should make you happy. No wonder those poor saints in 1 Peter chapter 1, though they were experiencing some natural heaviness through their manifold temptations, they were rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because they were the sons of God. And let them be fed to the lions on the floor of the Colosseum. They were going to be straight in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joint heirs with Him of the universe. Where are the lions? Come on. Where is the lion? Come and get me. You want to play hide and seek lion? 
Because they were rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. Look at Deuteronomy 28. Do we have a reason? Should Christians allow mirth, pleasure, happiness, gladness, eating, drinking, being merry, celebrating and rejoicing? All those things are involved in the word mirth. Deuteronomy 28.47 Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness. I know it's a big chapter. Keep turning your pages. Deuteronomy 28.47 Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. That's the the Lord's deal with us. He's adopted us. He's made us his children. He had made Israel his chosen nation, his children on earth. And he blessed them abundantly. And because they weren't joyful and glad for the abundance of all things, he said, I'll take everything away from you and you will want all things. You'll be in need of everything. And I will put a yoke of iron on your neck. I'll make you bond slaves and destroy you. That's the deal. But you know what? I think the deal is really fair. All he wants is us to be happy about all the stuff he gives us. How's that for being painful? (laughs) Do you know when the Bible says his commandments are not grievous, do you believe that statement? His commandments are not grievous. 1 John chapter 5. All he wants is us to be happy. And what did he give them to be happy? The abundance of all things. That nation of Israel marched across the Jordan River and took the land of Canaan that had been owned by seven nations where they found vineyards that had already been planted, wells that had already been dug, houses that were already full of goodly things. They just took them over. Now, we live better than they did. Our covenant's better. We have a Savior. We know His name. How much do you know about Jesus? Do you know His mother? Do you know what town He was born in? Do you know where she gave birth? Do you know what he was wrapped in the first time? Do you know who announced his birth to the shepherds in the field? Do you know that he took a trip to Egypt in his early days? Do you know what his father's trade was? Do you know what we can go on and on and on and on? David didn't know anything about that. We know it all. We're blessed. How many Israelites had running water? How many Israelites went into a little room and turned a button and hot water came out so they could take a shower? How many Israelites could put their food in the refrigerator? How many Israelites had a microwave? How many Israelites had an ice cube? How many Israelites had ice cream? We are blessed abundantly. Amen. How many Israelites could eat buffalo shrimp? When we do that tonight, you celebrate and smile from ear to ear. Those little scavengers from the bottom of the ocean. Oh, yes, give me those little guys. Let them take all that crud off the, out of the ocean and turn it into some succulent flesh, because right. I'll eat it. Thank you, Lord. The Lord did that for us. What category do we have? In, are we inferior to them? None. Therefore, if God's blessed us so abundantly with so many things, we better be joyful and we better have a glad heart. Amen. This is mirth. That's what mirth is. That is mirth. We should be mirthful for all the things God's given us. Should Christians allow mirth? Indeed. Life is short. Death looms. And so what has God given us as a reward according to the book of Ecclesiastes? Eat, drink, and be merry, for that is your portion that God giveth you under the sun. Amen. He's adopted us as His children. He gives us a good life now, and He's going to give us a better life for eternity. That's right. Does the Bible say, 
that God has given us richly all things to enjoy Amen. in the New Testament. Right. Is that what the rich are charged with? Yep. That they trust in the living God who giveth them richly all things to enjoy. Amen. It doesn't say enjoyment is part of the flesh and therefore you shouldn't enjoy things, so give away all your money. It says trust in the living God who gave you all that money and enjoy the things He richly gives you. Right. And be ready to give it to others who may not have enough. Amen. That's First Timothy six seventeen through 19. You know, the gods of the heathen wanted Israel's sons offered in sacrifice. Our God offered His own Son in sacrifice for us. Right. Is that an improvement in religion? Amen. The gods of the heathen want drink and meat offerings offered to them that the priests come by and eat and drink. Do you know what the meat and drink offerings of the, uh, New Test- the Old Testament were to be used? The Israelites were to offer them, then they get to eat them. Right. That's not bad, is it? Amen. Is that an improvement in religion? Islam requires you to blow yourself up with a bomb. But our God wants you to enjoy your life. Is that an improvement? Amen. You know, to be a good Muslim, you need to strap a bomb around your belly, wander into a restaurant and set it off. Blow yourself to smithereens. The Lord wants us to wander into a restaurant, sit down and order some good things off the menu. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. And we're going to do it. We're going to do it. If you were the richest man on earth, and for displaying your glory and kindness, you adopted the poorest child that you could find at great expense, would you trouble that child? No. Cause him grief? No. Deny him everything? Mm-mm. Or would you pamper and reward that child? Think, right. I'm, I'm going to say it again. If you were the richest man on earth, and in order to display your glory, your riches, your kindness. Think very carefully about what I'm saying. I'm telling you the reason why you adopted the poorest child you could find. You're the richest man on earth, and to display your glory, your riches, and your kindness, you adopted the poorest child that you could find at great expense to you. Would you trouble and pain that child? Or would you be pampering and rewarding that child? The answer is obvious. That is the God of heaven, his relationship to us. Amen. He chose to adopt us, not because he felt sorry for us. He chose to adopt us to display his glory and his kindness and his riches in time and eternity toward his children. He paid for us with a great price of the blood of his son, and he does not trouble or pain us. He pampers and rewards us day after day after day and then for all eternity. His commandments are not grievous. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come and find rest for your souls. That's mirth. Go look it up in a dictionary. It's to be at rest, to be at ease, to be happy, to be joyful, to be glad, to enjoy pleasure. Mirth. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come and find rest for your souls. My commandments are not grievous. You're my sons. Old Testament, New Testament. Doesn't matter. Both were the same. Should Christians allow mirth? Oh, praise the Lord. Let's go to the next point. God commands mirth. Yes, that's better. How about Deuteronomy chapter 14? I know, brethren, please don't be upset with me. I know you've heard these verses before. I know that. But we need to remind ourselves what we're doing today and why we're doing it. Deuteronomy 14. This is the harsh God of the Old Testament. 
The consuming fire that came down on Mount Sinai and the earth shook and the, and the mountain melted and the, and the fire and the smoke ascended up into heaven like a blast furnace. And Moses himself trembled and shook. This is that God. Do you know what he said? Every year, it's in Deuteronomy 14 and verse 22. Thou, verse 22, thou shalt truly tithe all the... What's a tithe? How much? 10%. Thou shalt truly give 10% of all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. Annual event. And thou shalt eat... And thou shalt eat... Is this a terrible religion? And thou shalt eat. What are they doing in North Korea right now? I love it. I love it. They're all starving. They're all starving because socialism and communism has never worked anywhere that's ever been practiced. And it certainly has never worked in North Korea. If you don't know about it, don't worry about it. They can't do what we're going to do tonight. We're going to do it with pleasure in spite of that. We're not going to send them any in an envelope. Deuteronomy. Do you think these people sent it to any orphanages in Egypt? No. Do you think they sent any to the Philistines? No. No. Because these were the children of God. God had blessed them and God wanted them to eat. And thou shalt eat. Thou shalt. Do the thou shalt the Bible bother you? His commandments are not grievous. Amen. If you will keep His commandments, you will live the best life now and the best life later. That's right. If you don't even believe in God, believe the Bible. It has the best way of living even if you don't believe in God. Right. You keep the commandments of this Bible. It will protect you in every aspect of your life. It will prosper you in your business. It will bless you with the happiest marriage. It will help you train your children. It will give you peace in your soul because it tells you to get rid of bitterness, grudges, anger, and all those things that eat a man up from the inside out. The Bible's perfect. His commandments are not grievous. They're wonderful. Right. Thou shalt eat. And it goes on to say what, you, what you're supposed to do since it, you might have a distance to travel to Jerusalem and you don't want to haul all this stuff and you didn't have a dump truck. So you convert it to cash. You convert it to cash. When you get to Jerusalem or wherever you were going to worship before the Lord, you took the cash and converted it back to stuff. And here's the stuff. Verse 26. Thou shalt bestow that money. Thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. What? I thought the word lust was bad. Thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. He gives you some examples that are proper lusts. For oxen, which do you prefer? Filet mignon, tenderloin, ribeye, New York strip, porterhouse, just a little bigger. What do you prefer? That's oxen. Or for sheep, leg of lamb, rack of ribs. Or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth. There's the explanation for the word lust. And thou shalt eat there. Thou shalt eat. Thou shalt eat. Most churches, many Christians, would accuse us of being lascivious in what we're doing tonight. Thou shalt eat. And this is the Old Testament. This is the harshest, carnalest, strongest, strictest, severest form of God's religion. The Old Testament. Thou shalt eat. Thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice. How are you supposed to eat? Like it's drudgery? Like you have to? Like I got to? You're supposed to rejoice, thou and thine household. This was a family event. 
The families got together, they spent 10% of gross income, and they did it on a big vacation in the place where God was worshipped, and they ate whatever they wanted, anything they could think of. And listen, you told the kids, kids, stop reading from the right-hand column of the menu. Read from the left-hand column. Wife, don't look at the right-hand column. Do you know what I'm talking about? What's on the right-hand side? Isn't that pitiful? That isn't a Christian. If you've got the means, read the left-hand column. That doesn't mean to be wasteful. Read the left-hand column. Whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. I'm not making this up. God made it up and praise His glorious name. Thou shalt eat. How many times can I find that in the book of Ecclesiastes? About seven. That it's your portion of the Son. It's a gift from God to be able to do that and to do it. You know our God commands us to be joyful? Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. You know the little two-word verse verse in the New Testament other than Jesus wept? What is it? It's first, rejoice evermore. In Philippians 4.4 where he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. That's in chapter 4, chapter 3, verse 1. He already said, rejoice in the Lord. We're supposed to be rejoicing in the Lord. Great saints chose mirth. I want you to think about the great men of the Bible. I've been sending you emails this week for you to think about them. David chose great mirth in moving the Ark of the Covenant. The first time he moved the Ark of the Covenant, how many of his friends did he call together to do it with him? For those of you who... 30,000 princes of Israel, that's all. He just wanted 30,000 buddies there to move the Ark of the Covenant. That's what it says. 30,000. That's when Uzzah got killed. When When David thought, he always thought big. Because he wanted to serve the Lord as well as he could. Thirty thousand can you believe it? The Gittites would have been lost in the crowd. They'd all been there to worship the Lord with David. Look at first Kings chapter eight. I wonder if somebody's going to use part of Solomon's prayer of dedication tonight. Oh, it's it's sweet. First Kings chapter eight. Did Solomon have a formal prayer? Was he very sober and solemn about it as he got down on his knees and lifted up his hands to heaven and blessed the great God who sent fire down from heaven and filled that temple with his glory and sent fire down from heaven and took up the sacrifice that Solomon had offered of uh, 15 sheep? 120,000 sheep, two or three oxen. 22,000 oxen? It's a pretty big sacrifice. If the Lord didn't burn it up, they weren't going to burn the wood for it. That's huge. He gets up from offering this prayer of dedication. It's wonderful. Look at this. Verse 62. First King. What do great men do? Men full of the Holy Ghost. Men being led by God. The dedication to the temple of God for the worship of God. Solomon had his problems, but he didn't have any problems this day. 1 Kings 8.62 And the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered unto the Lord, two and twenty thousand oxen and a hundred and twenty thousand sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel, because the brazen altar that was before the Lord was too little to receive the burnt offerings and meat offerings and the fat of the peace offerings. And at that time Solomon held a feast and all Israel with him, a great congregation from the entering in of Hamath under the river of Egypt before the Lord our God. Seven days 
and seven days. Even 14 days, if you can't add. He just wanted to make sure that he wasn't counting the days twice. They were really two sets of seven. On the eighth day, he sent the people away. What day would that be? The 15th day, the eighth day of the second set of seven. On the eighth day, he sent the people away, and they blessed the king and went into their tents. Joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness the Lord had done for David, his servant, and for Israel, his people. This is what the people of God have done. God is our Father. He has blessed us abundantly. He has said, Thou shalt eat. Thou shalt have a joyful heart. Thou shalt be full of gladness. That was in the Old Testament. We have so much more in the New. Hezekiah did the same thing with the Passover that had hardly been seen before. Josiah outdid Hezekiah by having a Passover that hadn't been seen before. You ought to read about both of them. Nehemiah had a great day of mirth that I read about when I opened the service today. New Testament, Holy Spirit-filled saints... Following the day of Pentecost, it says they ate their meat with gladness, rejoicing in God and praising God and having favor with all the people, Acts chapter 2. They had feasts of charity, Jude chapter 1 and verse 12. Feasts of charity, everybody come and get filled up. The rich would, of course, pay for more than the poor would. That's why it's a feast of charity. It's a feast before the Lord, either testament. Most so-called Christians choose to do the minimum. Let us choose... To exceed the maximum. Amen. If Eliab's call us that we're proud, we're not proud. We just love the Lord our God and we want to do something great for Him. We're not proud. We're nothing. We're ugly sinners saved by grace and we'll tell anyone, anywhere, at any time that that's the truth about us. And we know it's the truth about us. And it isn't pride. And it isn't naughtiness of our hearts. It isn't us trying to be innovators. It's us trying to follow the Bible. They just don't read it. They don't humble themselves before it. They don't want to do it because it's not fitting in with their traditions. Right. Scrap traditions. Amen. If you find something in the Word of God that we're not doing, and this is one thing that we haven't done enough of, we're going to do it some more. And if tonight's format isn't perfect, boy, we're going to make it perfect next time. But I thank the Lord for the great friends and servants in this church that have tried to make this night good for us all. So most Christians just want to do the minimum. Show up, sit, listen, sing, go home and do their thing. Let's exceed the maximum. We have more cause for mirth in the New Testament. If God through David commanded us to delight in the Lord in the Old Testament, how much more should we be delighting in the Lord in the New Testament? If God through Jeremiah told Israel to glory in the fact that they knew God, and that He exercised loving kindness, righteousness, and judgment in the earth, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, and that that kind of glorying ought to exceed a rich man glorying in his riches, or a strong man glorying in his strength, or a wise man glorying in his wisdom, how much more should we be glorying in the Lord, since we know the Lord Jesus Christ? We should be. We have more cause. Is there not a cause? If they had a cause, we have a bigger one. What we're doing tonight... We owe it to God. We're bound to do it. We're nothing for doing it. And it's hardly costing us anything. Just, it's less than a percent of our assets. Being a little chintzy. Got to do this again soon. We will.
we didn't try to be chintzy. That it's nothing. I want to I want to burn myself out, and if we burn up every dollar in the process, kids, I hope you got good jobs. We want to do it for the Lord's sake. Right. We want to do it for the Lord's sake. We've been saved from Catholic bondage. So we eat meat. We're going to eat meat tonight. Give me that fork and knife and let me carve up some meat. I wish it was Friday night. We reject. You you all, come on. Have you all forgotten that Catholics eat fish on Friday because they don't want to eat meat? Just give me a filet on Friday. Amen. Give me a brat. I'll eat that any day of the week. We've been saved so much. You know what the Bible calls it? The unspeakable gift of Jesus Christ. We don't have monasteries. We don't have penance. Mock crucifixions. Walking on our knees. Hours with the rosary. None of that. He doesn't want any of that. Right. Do you know what he wants? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Amen. We've been saved from the, Catholic, from the bondage of Catholicism. We've been saved from the stupidity of Adventism. So we eat meat, shrimp, pork, watch a little college football on Saturdays instead of following Ellen Harmon to hell. Making our kids go to church on Saturday, Seventh-day Adventism. Vegetarians, pitiful. We have more cause for mirth. Amen. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus ran into ten lepers. That's right. Can I give you a few words that sound like, is there not a cause? Do you know what those words are? For those of you that know your Bibles and that have a soul that loves the Lord, what? He healed ten. The ten went off happy that they had skin as fresh as a baby's ever was. One, a Samaritan, came back and with a loud voice, Blessed and praised the Lord Jesus Christ for healing him at his feet. Right. And Jesus' words were, where are the nine? That's right. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? I want to be that Samaritan. Who wants to fight me to get the closest to the ankles of the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Fight me, brethren. Pull me away. By my, grab me by my ankles and pull me away and try to get up there because I'm going to grab you by your ankles. Where, I want to be that Samaritan. I don't speak as a fool. I want to be that Samaritan. Where are the nine? We're going to give them the nine tonight. We're going to give them the ninety and nine. We're going to give them everything we have. We're going to be thankful for all that he's done, and we're going to eat. We're going to keep his commandments. Amen. Thou shalt eat. Right. Thou shalt eat. How do we have mirth? It includes food and drink in both Testaments, so we're going to do the same. It's not being carnal. It's not being lascivious. It's not being foolish. It's not being worldly. It's being scriptural. Right. We're going to eat. We're going to eat well. You know what the Bible says about the denying of your flesh? Colossians chapter 2. It's heresy. Amen. I'm not talking about sinful lust. I'm talking about eating and drinking whatever you feel like. If you don't do it, you're denying your flesh in an ungodly way, and it's wrong. Not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. God expects you to honor your flesh. He gave you that flesh. He wants you to honor it just within his confines because his confines are the best way to maximize the pleasure of your flesh. That's right. Is getting drunk, you know, okay, so we don't get drunk with alcohol or wine or strong drink because that's one of the confines he gave us. He told us to use it. He said, what's where they sold us after? I made it to make glad the heart of man. Why don't we get drunk? Because drunk is, getting drunk is just flat out painful. 
It's stupid. You make a mockery of yourself. It costs a lot of money. You throw up. You get sick. You lose your job. You lose your reputation. I say His commandments are absolutely wonderful. Amen. Drink enough till you're merry, but don't get drunk. Worship together is better than worship alone. Two are better than one, and two are better than one when it comes to worshiping God. You know the, ver- the words well in Psalm 34. It puts it this way. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Amen. There's an effect by having other people around when someone praises the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt His name together. So we do it in a group. What does it mean to eat before the Lord? In Deuteronomy chapter 14, it says, Go to this certain place with your family and eat there whatsoever thy soul lusteth after before the Lord. Before the Lord is an expression used in both Testaments many, many times. And it means to do it in the sight of God, under the authority of God, as to Him, in front of Him, before Him. It means that you're, you're thinking of God very consciously because you're before Him. You're in His sight. You know He's seeing what you're doing. What you're doing, you're giving to Him. You're doing it under His authority. And you're doing it according to His commandments. And doing it in His way. That's what it means to eat before the Lord. When something is before you, it's right in your sight. It's visible. And we're doing it before the Lord. We're not hiding this. We're not shirking our duties of how we do it. It's dedicated to the Lord. So tonight we eat before the Lord. In His sight, knowing He sees us, according to His commandments, doing it as unto Him. Brethren, tonight is an issue of faith. Each of us stands alone before God. Every man shall bear his own burden. Tonight is an issue of faith, just like everything else we do. Naaman the Syrian did not want to dip himself in the Jordan River because it was beneath him. How in the world can a dirty river of Israel make a man clean from leprosy? Why not let me use the clean rivers back in the mountains of Syria? Because God said so. God, through Elisha, told Naaman to go dip in that dirty Jordan River. When he dipped in that dirty Jordan River, did he get clean? Was it because of the water? Was it because of the number seven? Was it because of the way he dipped? None of those things. What made it work? Because God said it. Because it's a matter of faith. What about baptism? Is baptism pretty? Does baptism make sense to the natural man? Is baptism noble? Is baptism glorious? Is baptism... what? But why does it work? Because of faith. God said to do it that way, so we do it that way. And we get excited about doing it that way because God said to do it that way. Because if God said to do it that way, that's the only way to do it. And we're going to get excited about doing it that way. Amen. What about the Lord's Supper? We're going to have this goofy looking piece of bread. No offense. This goofy looking piece of bread. We're going to tear it into pieces. And we're going to have it. And we're going to drink a little bit of wine to go with it for the Lord's Supper. How in the world is that a noble event, an exalting event, an expensive event, a great act of worship... What does that look like? It looks so simple. It's a matter of faith. The only thing that makes it work is not the tears you shed. It's the amount you believe in what's being done there is what God commanded. And so we're doing it the way God commanded because this is the way He wants us to remember the death of His Son. He doesn't want a crucifix behind us hanging over a baptistry. He doesn't want that. He wants the Lord's Supper. Tonight is a matter of faith. How much you believe the words, Thou shalt eat. How much you believe the words that mirth in the Bible is, an, is not only acceptable, but commanded. 
that God delights in his people feasting together and celebrating his goodness and adopting them to be his children. And do you know what? Everyone in here, in the sight of God, we are going to walk in that room like this, on a plane. And God, who knoweth the hearts of all men, is going to do this after the evening is over. And the person with the greatest faith is going to be at the top, who loved the Lord the most, and the person who went in there and just ate the food and didn't think about what we were doing is going to be on the bottom of it. And let come what may, the men, the men and women at the top are going to be blessed, and the men and women at the bottom are going to be lost right. because they are losers. It's not how you carve up your stake. It's the degree of faith you have in your heart. David had a heart full of love for the Lord. Amen. His heart was abundantly filled with loving God. It depends on your faith, and everyone's faith is going to be different. It depends on your fear of God. It depends on your love of God. It depends on your holiness. I've already defined that for you today. And it depends on your zeal. That is how we make it pleasing to the Lord. It's not the food. It's not the format. It's not the order. It's not the number of seconds with you at the microphone. It's what your heart's full of. Do you really love the Lord? Or are you going through the motions? Are you a hypocrite? Or you're there with your mind off on all, all the little stupid things of your life compared to the great things of God's life. Right. David thought his house was a stupid thing compared to the house of God. Amen. This is the issue. It's a matter of faith like everything else we do. We do it cheerfully. Amen. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Mm-hmm. He does not want you to give begrudgingly. People here preaching on giving, and they say, I've been giving for the last two months and nothing's happened to me. As soon as I hear that sentence, I know nothing's going to happen to them. And I know they're in an elevator that's going down to the basement. As soon as I hear that sentence, it's such a joke. It's such a carnal, wicked attitude. It is such a selfish, piggish attitude. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. It's the person that has the initiative to give before it's even asked for. It's the person that wants to throw away some extra. It's the person that just wants to get rid of it and scatter it. There is that scattereth, but it tendeth to increase. There is that holdeth back more than his meat and tendeth to poverty. Let me take that and apply it to having mirth. Are you going to get into this? You know, if anybody thinks, I wonder how much money we spent. I'm going to tell you something. We didn't spend enough. Right. If there's any question about it, we didn't spend enough. Not that we spent too much. Don't even think those kind of thoughts. Amen. I'll tell you where you're at. Right here at the bottom. We are not being wasteful. God deserves our best. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want us to do it begrudgingly. And we want to do our mirth tonight with great cheerfulness. Because the Lord loves it. You know how we can have mirth? Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you to see what the Lord hath done. Because He's done a lot. The, the, The recipe in Psalm 145 goes like this. It says, to remember, to meditate, and to muse. Our nation likes to amuse. That means no musing, no thinking, no, no consideration, no reflection. We want to remember what God's done. We want to meditate upon it. We want to muse over it, which is to think very seriously and soberly within yourself. Let's praise and worship tonight as if our lives depended on it. Right. Because you know what? They do. Thank you, brethren. Amen. They do. We want to magnify God. Amen. I remember Paul and me on the sidewalk. Little boys, our dad got us a magnifying glass. You know, we just love to go around looking at stuff with our magnifying glass. 
I want, I'm only telling you about that so that you'll think about the word magnify. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Amen. What does it mean? Make, it make Him as big as we possibly can. Right. Let's make Him big. Amen. He is big. Amen. As, as great as the effort we may make tonight, and it, and it may fall short in your mind, and it's certainly going to fall short of how great God is. We're not going to make Him as big as He is. Right. You know, I get people writing in and saying, why is your website entitled Let God Be True? I thought He was true. Let God be true. We're just making Him true. We're just assuming He's true and everything we write is based on His truthfulness. And we can't make God bigger, but we can certainly talk to each other and make Him as big as possible. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. That's that's how we're going to do it tonight. Our zeal in doing this is not arrogance. Our zeal in doing this is not pride any more than David's desire to silence Goliath. Any more than the Apostle Paul's statement that I labored more abundantly than all the apostles. Right. I was not a whit behind the very chiefest of the apostles. Is that pride in the part of Paul in either case? Not even close. He just thought this way. If one died for all, then all were dead. And they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him that loved them and died for them. He was just purely logical. If I was dead and Jesus died for me, then I should live for Jesus. And that's all we're doing tonight. I'm going to end. What should we expect? You should expect to be blessed if you go into this with the right heart. Also, tell him that I will make thee a house. It doesn't get a whole lot better than that. That's right. Expect your prayers to make it to heaven. Do you know at the end of Hezekiah, do you remember? The last verse in Second Chronicles chapter 30. At the end of Hezekiah's great Passover, it says they prayed, and their prayer came up into his dwelling place, even unto heaven. Amen. 2 Chronicles 30 and verse 27. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. There is a cause for mirth. And while David and Hezekiah and Solomon and others had great mirth in the Old Testament, we have greater cause for mirth in the New Testament. Let us rejoice this day. This day is holy unto the Lord. Don't mourn, don't grieve, don't be sorrowful. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. May the Lord be praised. Amen. Amen.